This is Mike Roth. Welcome to the Open Forum in the Villages podcast. In this show, we're going to talk to leaders in the community, leaders of clubs, and interesting folks who live here in the villages to give perspective of what's happening here in the villages and information that I think all villagers should have. We hope to add a new episode every Friday morning at 9 o'clock. Thank you, Lee, for coming back to talk to us a little bit more about your book, Rockstar. How long did it take you actually to write the book? I would say it took me about a year. Um, I think, you know, there are authors who can turn out a book in three months. Mm -hmm. I am not that author. I'm very deliberate about my writing. Um, I want everything to be perfect, like an artist wants their picture to be perfect, so I, I rewrite a lot. And I would say each book takes me about a year. Um, one of the things I wanted to share about life on the road, and, you know, the stuff in my book is very accurate. Um, most people think that uh, the road is glamorous, you know, life on the road, rock star, but to be honest, most play, most bands play in arenas or stadiums, so their dressing rooms end up being like the sports players' locker rooms or physical therapy rooms. I have seen more than my share of jock straps over the years, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and fans might not realize that life on the road can be really grueling. I mean, you're, you're moving from city to city. You're packing, you're unpacking. And to tell you the truth, it can sometimes be mind-numbingly boring. There's a lot of time in between those shows, and there's only so many times you can go and see the Statue of Liberty if you're in New York, for instance. Mm-hmm. But the moment that the band steps on stage, it really is really all worth it. Um, in my book, Rockstar, the lead Sebastian, the lead singer Sebastian describes that concert as like a beautiful symbiosis between the band and its fans. And I actually was on stage in Australia during a Jethro Tull concert back in the day when they needed some extras on stage to do a little skit before the show Mm -hmm. started. And looking out into the audience of like 65,000 screaming fans is a real rush. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But living on, I understand living on the road can be extremely difficult. I had a couple of years in my business career where if you asked me where I lived, I would say back of a 727. Oh boy. I would do three, three or four cities in a day. Four or five days a week. Wow, that's a lot of traveling. Yeah, yeah. There was a point I had a, uh, a home on Long Island, a apartment in Washington D.C. McLean area, McLean, Virginia, and a, a place out in L.A. One of the uh, we also lived in California for about thirteen years, and I have some. I have a couple of really funny stories about California. Tell us a funny story about California. All right, since you like jokes, this is not a joke, but this is a funny story. Um, one week in, in the California lottery was like $80 million, $85 million. And that was back in the day before they were like $700 million like That's they are now these week. days. Right. A billion. Crazy. But anyway, it was you know, 80. I'm going to buy a few tickets. You know, I'm thinking about it myself. But you don't was, have the ball, but I've already got the, the Oh, winner. you got the winner? I got the winner. Okay. No, all right, out. then. You saved me some money then. Well, anyway, the California lottery was $85 million. We were living in Malibu. So I went to my local drugstore, which in Malibu is called Save-On Drugs. And, you know, only in Malibu can nobody care that the lottery is $85 million. They're all rich enough already. So I go up to the counter. There's nobody there. I hand the guy my $5. I ask for quick picks. 
And as the machine is printing out my ticket, I become aware that there's somebody standing behind me in line. And I'm thinking, well, thank God there's at least one other normal person in Malibu. So the machine spits out the ticket. The guy hands me my ticket. And I turn around to say, thank God there's at least one other normal person in Malibu. And it's standing behind me is Martin Sheen, the actor. Mm. And this was when he was in West Wing, when he was like hugely popular. So what came out of my mouth was, you can't be here to buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) (laughs) To which he said, hell yeah. It's going to be $100 million by Saturday. So, so I said to him, well, good luck to you. And he said, good luck to you. But neither one of us won. No, no <laughs> That's the story. Another very funny story about California is when we moved there, we moved there from New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our new neighbors gave us the three rules of earthquake survival. Mm-hmm. And number one was... Never, you know, most people might not know this unless you live in California or have lived in California. Never hang a picture on the wall above your bed because during an earthquake, the picture might fall and kill you, decapitate you, whatever. Rule number two. Very ugly. Yes, very ugly. Rule number two. Always put, tuck a pair of sneakers underneath the side of your bed. So if during an earthquake, your bedroom windows smash, you can at least get out of the house without cutting your feet. And number three, never ever sleep in the nude in case you have to run out of the house during an earthquake. So I have to say that in the 13 years we were in Malibu, we only had very minor earthquakes. Mm-hmm. I was in San Pedro. And I could considerably learn to hate earthquakes. Uh, At least here in Florida, when we have hurricanes, we have warning, right? Yeah, you got you, a couple of days of warning, right? right. You I, never have an earthquake I, I warning. I remember one morning waking up. To, decided to brush my teeth with my electric toothbrush. My wife had left home to go to work, and there was this earth, earthquake. And they teach you, you know, stand in a doorway, okay, stay in your house. So the first thing I did is I dropped the toothpaste, toothbrush, and I went downstairs. I have no idea if I, my feet ever touched the stairs, but I found myself outside of my my condo, staring at the plate glass window in the front with waves in it. Oh, my. And after it was over, I said, that was a pretty stupid place to stand. The plate glass window broke. But it was, it was really interesting to see that glass can wobble that much. You know, uh, I was an earthquake virgin until 1990 in Tokyo with the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. We were in a a hotel with many stories, and it was about 4.30 in the afternoon, and uh, I was getting ready to go down to rehearsal, and um, all of a sudden, you know, your body reacts before your mind realizes Mm -hmm. what's happening, so all of a sudden, I I felt like wobbly, and so I spread my legs so I wouldn't like fall over, and then I could see the whole building like tilting from side to side, and I went, oh my gosh, we're having an earthquake. And so then I ran out of the hotel room. I was already in my coat. And, you know, they say never take an elevator during an earthquake. And that I, we, our room happened to be right there at the lobby. And the elevator doors open. The, the car, the cab of the elevator is full of people. And I just yell at them. I go, you're not supposed to be in an elevator during an earthquake. And the Chinese or the Japanese guy who was, you know, operating the, the he said, 
come on in, step in. We're prepared for this. Come on in. So I got in and we rode all the way down to the lobby and there were a lot of people in, you know, in the elevator car who were from the tour. And we get to the lobby and we're all like huddling in one corner. <laughs> like All of these Japanese people who are so used to these earthquakes and, you know, they've dealt with them and they're just like going about their business. And we're like all huddled, nervous wrecks in one corner. Yeah. I, I remember walking back into the uh, my home in L.A. after that earthquake and hearing this buzzing noise and being scared that a gas pipe or water pipe had broken. And I finally got upstairs. I found the toothbrush I was using <laughs> on, on my master bedroom floor. <laughs> I had no idea how it got there. <laughs> but earthquakes could do that to you. So when my wife's job got moved to Cincinnati, I said, sure, I'll go to Cincinnati for two years, stay 25. Wow. But do you have anything else you want to add about your writing? I just uh, could read a little blurb from the book if you... Before you do that, yes. I wanted to ask you a question. Sure, absolutely. As a writer, uh-huh. you finished the novel. Yes. Okay, how many people do you show your work to? Well, I belong to a critique group here, and there are about four people in it. One of them is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author, and I trust her feedback very much. Um, I had a critique group in Los Angeles as well. I don't think you should have a critique group more than four people because, honestly, if you get feedback from three other people, if you get feedback from any more than that, it's going to start messing with your creative head and you're going to start thinking, you know, can I even write? I think it might be confusing. Yes, they invariably have different opinions, but in the end, you are the author and what resonates with you is the advice you should take. Good. You said you wanted to read a little bit of a blurb on Rockstar. Yes, if you'll allow me. Go ahead. Okay. To change into my my serious reading voice. Your audible audio book. (laughs) Audible audio book voice. Do you you have your books, by the way, on audible? You know, um, I don't. And it's because basically it's so expensive to do. I know this this critique partner had one of her books on audible. And she said she wound up paying like $6,000 for you know, the the voiceover people, the editing of it. And, you know, I don't know that she's made that money back. It's It can be a very expensive proposition. So not yet. Mine are in print and on ebooks, but not yet in Audible. Mm-hmm. I know that I personally prefer to listen to a, a audio book. And if the audio book has enough content, serious content, then I'll buy the hard copy. Well, I love audiobooks also, but they are much more expensive than even a print version. Sure, you need to have good audio talent, right. voiceover people to record it, and B, it's got to be edited superbly, right? And it's got to flow, right? And but it does make a great thing to do when you're stuck on a plane or an airport for two hours and you got nothing to do. It's <sighs> easy to carry around because it's in your phone. I have a confession to make. Yes. The only audiobooks that I own are the Twilight series, Stephanie Meyer. Mm-hmm. I don't write about vampires, but when I was younger, when those books first came out, oh my gosh, I love those books so much that they're, those four books are the only ones that I have on audio. <laughs> That's okay. Let's, let's, let's hear some of the story from Rockstar. Sebastian Rowe lived for nights like this one the roar of the audience echoing in his ears, the wail of Nick's guitar making his body vibrate, 
the pounding of Trevor's drums pulsing like a living heartbeat. In concert, Sebastian gave every ounce of energy to his fans. They loved him for it, and he fed off that love. Hell, he mainlined it. It was a beautiful symbiosis. And this moment of anticipation before each song started was like delicious foreplay, a breathless excitement that danced along his nerve endings. The first recognizable notes of the song, I Can't Live Without You, launched into the air, and the roar of the crowd became thunder. Even with his in-ear monitor, Sebastian could hardly hear Nick's guitar to listen for his cue to start singing. But he knew this song as well as he knew his own name. So he strutted to the front of the stage, throwing open his arms in a show of embracing them all, every single person out there in the audience. The roar got even louder. The sands of time run through my hands, my dreams and hopes and all my plans, he sang, his voice intentionally cracking to convey the sad emotion of the song. I can't live without you. It was his biggest hit, but more than any of his songs, Sebastian's favorite music was the sound of the crowd's deafening approval. He wasn't disappointed now. He smiled widely and then felt an odd sting in the vicinity of his left shoulder. Weird. It pushed him back on the stage a few steps, as if a ghost had just shoved him. He looked around, but clearly nobody else was on stage except him and the band. The sting became a burn, but he ignored it. Had he pulled a muscle? No time to deal with it now. He took a breath, readying for the next verse, but was distracted by an odd warmth now spreading across his chest. He looked down and tried to make sense of what he was seeing, a stain on his shirt where he'd felt that stinging burn. As he watched, the stain got larger. It was a dark shade of red. It was blood. His blood. His head started to spin and he sank to his knees. The wail of Nick's guitar stopped. The pounding of Trevor's drums stopped. Everything went eerily quiet in a venue built for sound. Sebastian was aware of the heat of the spotlight still trained directly on him, and as his vision started to fade, his last thought was that he'd lived his life on a stage, and tonight he was going to die on one. Well, that was great. Thank you. This <laughs> book is fiction. I've never like, personally known a rock singer who was shot on stage. But as I mentioned, all of the information about touring and rehearsing is what actually happens. And there are bits in the book that actually happened to me. So if you'd like a backstage peek at the crazy, glamorous rock star world, I hope you'll pick up a copy of Rockstar. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Remember, our next episode will air live next Friday at 9 a.m. Or should I say pre-recorded? But that's when it will be released on our regular subscriptions. Bonus subscribers can get early access to episodes. Should you want to become a sponsor of the show, contact me at MikeRoth at RothVoice.com. If you know someone that you think should be on the show, send me an email at Mike at RothVoice.com. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show, the content of the show, is copyright by Roth Voice 2022, all rights reserved.